It's the time of year for Santa Claus and Q&A questions, and we can give you one of them on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We're back again, episode number 198 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. We don't have an interview because this is the Q&A episode we've been telling you about for a month, and we're excited to do it. We got 21 questions, which is actually a really fun uh, number because, you know, the game, 20 questions. So, yeah. The game's not 21 questions, though. I know, but just go with it. Just, just humor me. It is my favorite episode, though, I think, that we do. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's just, I mean, it's laid back. It's just like we're just answering questions from the listeners. So I like it. Yeah. Like, honestly, I would like to try and modify the Q&A episode to work in like the when we're doing all the prep work for the season. Right. Like to right. have people ask questions about their team and ask like something like that. I like to try and work in eventually. But uh, that's uh, that's a concern for, I guess, four months from now, five months from now. What we have as a more pressing concern is uh, a bunch of questions people sent in. As we always say, the episodes as long as the listeners make it. And we have, I think, a decently length show. You know, in the past, we've gotten around 30. So it's a little bit lighter this year, but still pretty solid. And I think there's some pretty decent and uh, meaty questions here that we can go through. Yeah, on that note, we'll go ahead. I guess we'll get going. Uh, question number one. I didn't mark down who they're from, but you'll know your question because obviously you know what you asked. So uh, the first question is, uh, Will and Nick, describe in detail your first ever professional baseball game that you've gone to. If you can't remember that far back, then describe the earliest we remember going to. I will uh, defer to Mr. Red Sox to kick us off on that one. So, I have two in my head. The problem is I don't know which one was first. All right. I, I honestly, like, they were definitely like within a year of each other. I think, but like, I don't, all right. So I'll, I'll give you two answers, I guess. Cause I can't really remember the, which one was definitely first. Um, the first, the first, uh, it was definitely one of these two. Yeah. Uh, the first one was at Fenway. The Red Sox were playing, um, the Red Sox were playing the Minnesota twins in 2007. All right. Uh, at Fenway. And it was, it was awesome. It was a Sunday night baseball game. Uh, and the score was, uh, the final score was one, nothing Red Sox because, uh, Daisuke Matsuzaka threw an absolute gem. Uh, and the only run scored was a Manny Ramirez RBI single, which was very fun. <clears throat> you know, I've been a, um, I've been a Red Sox fan for a very long time. Yeah. So, uh, so that was probably, that was definitely my first time at Fenway. And I'm pretty sure that was the first game. The first professional game I went to, but I'm not 100% sure if it's different than this other one because I, it could have been first. I don't remember 100%, but I all yeah. my first, uh, I get the other one, Somerset Patriots York Revolution, uh, at, at TD Bank Ballpark yeah. in Somerset. I've gone there many times. Actually, hold on, let me pull it up actually because I keep track of how many times I go to every park, every baseball park I've ever been to. Somerset, I've been to 126 times. So uh, it's only a couple I, of times. Still getting to learn the place. Still getting to learn the place a little bit. But uh, that game, I'm pretty sure York won. I think, uh, yeah, I'm like, I, I think York won. Uh, 
The only Patriot I definitely remember from that team was Josh Presley. Okay. Granted, I was like, granted, I was like eight years old, so I don't, I don't remember a hundred percent. But and that was long before the days of me actually like, you know, legit like caring about uh, about indie ball. Long before it was just like, wow, this is like ten minutes from my house and all that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, my parents took us there, and it was a uh, it, it was a great time. So it's one of those two. I don't remember which one for sure was first, but it had to be one of those two. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's pretty cool, though, because, like, if I had to guess, I'd probably say that your parents did the same thing that mine did, which is you start with the minor league game that's close to home, so that way, if something goes wrong, it's an easy out, and it's like, okay, we didn't invest True. too much into this. So I would guess that, and then they were like, okay, it went well, now we could do Fenway. Yeah, True. So, but either way, it's pretty cool. And like the first major league game is like Fenway Park on Sunday night. Like that's pretty cool. It was, it was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, it's pretty awesome. It's just like, it, it's just different. So yeah, I love it. So on my case here, I, I'm kind of in a similar boat where I'm pretty sure it would have been a Nork Bears game. And it almost certainly would have been a day game unless... And I, I'd honestly have to look it up because I could probably narrow it down. But I remember going to one game at night because we did, did that a couple of times. And I got Armando Benitez to sign my baseball. So I have an Armando Benitez signed ball around here somewhere. I got to find that. But so it probably would have been Nork. I remember one Nork game in particular. And I think they were also playing York because it was when Scott Hatterberg was there for like a brief moment. So. Yes, yep. Because I remember I was looking at like the uh, game notes that they give you, like you can find on the concourse, and it was just really hot, like absurdly hot. It was like one of those 11 o'clock, 11.30 start to games, and it was like July or August, and we were buying water. Like half of it you'd drink, the other half you'd pour in your head, and if there's anything left, you just kind of like pour it on the seat to cool it down, because it was genuinely too hot to sit in the seat. So, like, that's one of, like, the first independent games I really remember going to was just, like, games at Newark in general. Like, nothing in particular except for, like, that really hot game. That one I really remember. As far as, like, Major League Ball goes, that's really tough because it's, a, cause it's again, like, scattered plot memories. I remember seeing the last Expos game at Shea. That one I remember because it was a day game. And I guess it would have been about 05, 04, 05, and seeing them play there. Uh, then one of David Wright's first home games, and I forget if it was when he hit his first home run at Shea, or if it was like his first extra base hit. It was against the Reds, though. I remember that. It was against the Reds. And there was that. And then for whatever reason, I feel like I have a Ty Wigginton. Uh, signature love somewhere. Ty, love Ty Wigginton. Yeah, I remember when he's like the last third baseman before David Wright for the Mets. Like, I got that signed somewhere. And I remember I got like a couple of Kaz Matsui, uh, like, I guess kind of like oak tag signs there, which on one side, I'm pretty sure it says Let's Go Mets in Japanese. And on the other side, it says Let's Go Mets in English. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, shit. Don't don't pause recording now. Although I'd rather it happen now than during an interview. 
But anyway, but yeah, so that those would probably be like the earliest ones I have. I can't really give more detail because I don't really remember too much else. But yeah, so probably like earliest game would have been around oh three oh four would probably be about right. It's probably about twenty years back. So yeah. Either way, good question there though. That that was a nice one to That's reminisce on. Yeah. That's a good question to kick it off. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We have another personal question coming up uh, in a little bit, but. Uh, <laughs> We go on to question number two here, which is uh, coming from a guy that's gone to multiple Windy City games. Usually the biggest crowd for one of these games is around uh, 2,000 people. And that's normally done on Friday or Saturday night because of fireworks. Do you think the All-Star game will draw more than 2,000 people? So what's funny about this is we got this question while we were scheduling the Windy City GM. And as we recorded this Q&A, we were supposed to be interviewing him, but we had to switch things around because of weather. So we're actually going to ask about the, the Windy City uh, All-Star game in the interview that we're recording when we're done with the Q&A that we're currently recording. And you're going to hear that interview next week. So the last episode in 2022 is going to be us talking to the Windy City GM. So um, I imagine you're going to get a better answer when we you know, kind of ask, hey, it's in the middle of the week. Um, what do you think is, do you think that could be an attendance issue? Uh, that said, asking about uh, our personal opinion, I don't know about you, Will, but I think it's going to be kind of tough to get 2000 to what's essentially a minor league uh, exhibition game in the middle of the week. I think that's a really tough sell. Is it doable? Yeah, I guess. I'd have to really look to see, you know, what other local Chicago teams are playing and what other local Chicago stuff's going on before I could confidently say, like, yeah, you'll get a couple thousand people to Crestwood to watch uh, a game with players that nobody really knows because you have a casual walk-up crowd. And that's just the issue with All-Star games is they're hard to draw to uh, on just about any level. So I think it'd be doubtful to get to 2,000. But again, I could be wrong. Yeah, I think it's going to be close. I maybe lean yes if they market it right, but the the top the part about it being in the middle of the week is is a really tough ask I think um, to to get people now of course Windy City I mean it's in a good area for it I think there's a chance um, that it that it can draw that it can draw more than two thousand people um, would I would I say it with any degree of uh, really any degree of confidence and such probably not. Uh, but I think I'm going to lean yes, because I think I, you know, I'd trust them to like really market it and try and, but I think it would be right around that number, like at best. And so I'll, I'll choose to go on the positive side and, and say, I think so. Yeah. Like I'm looking at their attendance right now and you know, it, what's annoying about looking at this is, um, when you go to the Frontiers League site to look at it, it shows you all the away games and the home games at the same time. So you kind of can't sort it. And the home games, they have a couple that draw over 2,000. Um, but yeah, normally it seems to be around like 1,500 or so. So, I mean, like I kind of expect that usual crowd of about 1,000, about 1,300. But like I, I would agree that you know, if they market it right, because they had a game here where they were nearly at 4,000 against uh, Lake Erie Crushers uh, in the middle of June. They had 
one abysmal day, 10 by 650. I'll assume that was an afternoon game. But then they came back with a 2600, you know, 2700 game. And then they were about 70 people off from being at 4,000 the following day. And they kind of kept it up and kept the solid attendance there. So, you know, I think the deciding factor is, like you said, well, if they market it well. And I think things that are kind of out of the control, like weather, could also be a major effect in that, too. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, I, I think the weather is honestly a huge part of it. Yeah. So on that note, we'll go to question number three. Keep it moving. And uh, looking at the Pioneer League and Atlantic League schedules, there doesn't appear to be any All-Star break or festivities. Why is this? Honestly, the All-Star game in the Atlantic League has not happened for some time. And I don't know when it's going to be coming back. I think they have the similar issue to what the Pioneer League is, which is they're just kind of far apart like obviously you can say the same thing about the frontier league where they're pretty well spread out but again all-star games are hard to draw for and so as a cost measure as a player you got to pay your own way out there i believe is normally the case and mm-hmm. it's that's an expense that a lot of guys don't really want for an exhibition game it doesn't really matter doesn't draw great normally it's just kind of tough to sell so my guess would be it's just it's more of a pain to put it on than it's worth. And also keep in mind, you have to have a willing host too. What would you rather have? You know, like two or three days where you have an all-star festivity festivity in a stadium of about 1,200, 1,300 people, or would you rather have something else that you could put in that date, whether it be renting that park out to, like, say, a convention or to a, you know, uh, or something like that? Or... Would you rather have the baseball there when you already have a lot of baseball there as is? So I imagine it's partially that. I think it's a logistic thing. I could possibly see it coming back. And who's to say that they don't announce something later on this year? I mean, think of how long we had to wait for Atlantic League schedules. If they just decide to say, hey, you know what? We're going to just toss an all-star game in here randomly. Would we really be surprised? It wouldn't be the most egregious thing that the uh, Atlantic League's ever done, certainly. Uh, same thing with the Pioneer League, too. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't rule out that the Atlantic League couldn't just drop it in. Um, however, I think, uh, I guess I can't speak a lot for the for the Pioneer League, but on the Atlantic League side of things, Nick, I think you articulated it perfectly. Because now the league is, uh, of course, a lot more spread out, and the players got to pay their own way, which is true. I have heard, I've, I've heard that um, from players before as well. And it's tough because if you remember um, in 2020, pre-pandemic, uh, when it was supposed to be Southern Maryland hosting the game, mm. there was a concern about getting enough players to come to come and be there, so much so that they made the game... And again, obviously it didn't happen because of the pandemic, but uh, they made the game the, the Blue Crabs versus the Atlantic League All-Stars. Um, and so that, to me, is pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty significant. Now, I mean, the 2019 All-Star game at York was a big success. I mean, I yeah. went out there for it. It was, I mean, it was it was well attended. I think there was like 6,000 people there. I mean, it was great. It was a, it was a super fun day. Uh, and there was, and I think, for the most part, most of the guys that were that were picked in and deserving went. That that was also when the league was. I mean, it looked a lot different in 2019 than when it does now. I mean, it was just like, oh yeah, Sugarland's out there, but you know, uh, even even like the high point players came and 
and, and all that stuff. So I think, uh, I think part of it is just thinking about that 2020 plan that didn't happen is kind of indicative, I think, of a larger problem in that sense, because, I mean, you're not paying the players a lot to begin with. And then you're saying like, hey, can you pay your own way to come do something for us, for the league and for the fans? And it's kind of, uh, it, it's kind of a tough ask um, in that sense, especially now when it's when the league is more spread apart than it, than it ever has been before. And you're talking about a team. You're talking about teams like, of course, like in Gastonia and High Point, but as well as like all the way out and uh, out in Kentucky and West Virginia and, and teams like that. So uh, I think the distance is part of it. Paying the the players, I guess giving all signs that they're not really way, willing to pay their own way is, is part of it. I mean, maybe a potential solution is like, is the league doesn't make the pay, players pay for their own way. But the problem is, is all right, well, is the, is the game profitable enough to make that a reality, which I don't know. Uh, so I think it's, I think it's a lot of reasons, but I think that it's primarily those. Uh, and, and I wouldn't rule out them just dropping it up, dropping it in the middle and just being like, Hey, this is what an all-star game will be. Cause you know, they've done that before. Yeah. And when you put it like that, when they're not being compensated and they have to pay to get out there, it doesn't make much sense for a player that you're saying, we want you to risk injury for no compensation, and actually you're going to lose money on this venture. But you can put down Atlantic League All-Star in your resume. That may help you. There may be some more scouts here. Like, yeah, it's a great opportunity, but you still have like 125, 106 of the games where you're getting looked at. So, like, I don't think any one thing you're going to do in that one particular game is going to justify being out a, a couple hundred dollars. So, yeah, and... Yeah, I think you make a good point with profitability too, Will. I mean, if it's just not profitable, it's just not going to happen. And I imagine the Pioneer League's got something similar too. And you need a willing host as well. I mean, you look at the Atlantic League attendance, only four teams are above 2,500 on average per game. And that was York, Southern Maryland, Lancaster, and Long Island. So it's like, okay. Yeah. And even if you want to expand to above 2,000, great. You can add Lexington to that mark. Everybody else was under 2,000. Charleston was close. On the average, and I mean, High Point and Wild Health weren't that far off, but um, yeah, still, if you can't draw two thousand for your own games, is an all-star game gonna really draw that much more? Right, and of course, like for example, if you put a game at like like uh, among Island, I guess like I, that would probably draw pretty well. But the problem is, is like all right, like who you're expecting somebody from who plays for uh, Lexington to drive up to Long Island for that by themselves and then come back and have to start play three days later. I, I just don't think the evidence is there. So I, 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 I get it. I do. Yeah. So on that note, we'll go to question number four. Uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? I don't think it is. I mean, it's a hot dog. I, I mean, like it, I remember when this was a big thing a couple of years ago and people would genuinely debate this online. It's just a hot dog. You know, I really wouldn't consider it a sandwich. I would not either. I think a hot dog is kind of in its own category, its own thing. Like, I just don't see how it could be like a sandwich if it's not like directly like two like two buns on either side or pieces of bread with something in the middle. I don't know. I just think a hot dog's its own thing, its own category. I don't think you could put it in as a sandwich. 
Exactly. Like, it's got its own unique kind of fun. I think, like, a better question is how would you categorize a hot dog? Which would be, like, is it, like, a street food? Is it a snack? Is it a meal? Is it something like that? <laughs> I feel like that's just the better question here. Because, like, if we're talking, like, an Italian hot dog where you're loaded up peppers and onions and a bunch of other stuff like potatoes and all stuff like that then yeah i could call that a meal that's pretty hearty if not and it's just like your standard like thuman dog on a bun with like ketchup or mustard or sauerkraut or something on it then it's probably closer to a snack unless you're having like two or three of them in which case then it probably becomes a meal yeah yeah i'd agree with that i think a hot dog's got to be its own thing. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it in the sandwich category. Yeah, agreed on that. Uh, number five. What's your opinion on the experience restrictions that the Pioneer League enforces? See, normally I would be against like restrictions on that, but after listening to uh, Michael Slack we had on the show, and I'll assume whoever asked this question listened to that interview, and if not, go back and listen to it because it's actually a really good one. We asked him about it. But I I do like them in a I don't I shouldn't say I like them I think they're they serve their purpose right like it's for younger players to get a chance and that has its own purpose and being that these markets are used to younger guys you know like twenty and under I think it kind of keeps the experience similar to what it was and clearly the attendance is proving that it's pretty good now obviously we know indie ball attendance is you know probably a little inflated by every team but even still. It clearly works for them. It's something they're used to. I don't dislike them as much as, say, in an American association where it's more like, eh, you don't really need them. But as far as like a Pioneer League goes and even a Frontier League to a lesser extent, I'm cool with them. Yeah, I I think to answer the question like head on with the, with the Pioneer League, I, I like the experience restriction there. I don't, I'm in general like against them. For example, like in like like you said, Nick, in leagues like the American Association, I uh, I don't I don't like the um experience restrictions in that sense. But I think you got to think of what the Pioneer League uh, is. You got to think of what really the Pioneer League is meant for. It's a, it's more of a developmental indie ball league, um, and for 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 a lot of the younger guys. Um, and who maybe didn't get drafted at a, at a college and stuff like that. So like it, it made to me for the pioneer league itself, I think it makes a lot more sense than the other leagues, uh, than, than the other leagues. So it's not just like a total blanket, but I think for the pioneer league, I think the, uh, experience restrictions are fine. And to be honest with you, like if they took away the experience restrictions, uh, in the, in the pioneer league, I don't know how much would change. Uh, it's not like you have like veterans who are dying to go out to Montana yeah. and and play. So I think that uh, I, I think the ex- the experience restrictions that the Pioneer League has, I think for them, I think it works for them. Yeah, exactly. I, very well put, especially with the veteran point where it's like those guys that are like 25, 26, they kind of understand like I'm looking for double A or higher. That's probably my best shot at it. And your number's going to be all funky out in the Pioneer League because offense is inflated. It's tough to have a sub for you, right? Last week when we had Mick Ritter on, he said something very similar to that, where it's like, if you have a sub for you, right, in Pioneer League, like, you're doing something really right. So it's tougher there, and it's harder to recover at 23 when you hit, like, 
326 in the Pioneer League, it's like, oh, okay, but Pioneer. As to hitting, say, like 295 in the American Association, where it's like, oh, okay, there's something here. But yeah, I, I agree on that point there. Uh, on to question number six. Which type of scheduling do you prefer? The type the American Association has or the type that the Frontier League has? Um, so uh, just to kind of make people aware of the difference, the American Association pretty much plays every day of the week. Mondays typically are a little bit lighter for them. They'll only have one or two games, sometimes three, but never really four on there. Exception, of course, being Labor Day. They like to play a everything on Labor Day because holiday. Uh, the Frontier League does not play on Mondays. Uh, they use that as their travel day. So they'll play a three-game set Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then play a weekend set of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, travel on Monday. Uh, so I'll let you start with that, Will, because I know what my answer is to it. To be honest with you, I think that for me, I'm a lot bigger fan of what the Frontier League does mm-hmm. uh, as far as scheduling, because I think it, in my view, I like it when it's simpler. Um like in a minor league baseball sense, like an affiliated minor league uh, standpoint, like I love the six game series. It is so easy for, for me as a, uh, as a fan to try and plan like where I want to go. Cause I know, all right, this team is in town for six days or whatnot. And I think for, uh, to connect that to indie ball, I think it's easier. It's easier for the fans. Uh, and it's easier for the teams because you're not in those series, uh, for example, if you're on like, you're not going to go from like one end of the league to the other end of the league without a travel day. Yeah. So I think it's organized. It makes a lot of sense. And I prefer, I guess I prefer more organization and consistency as opposed to uh, like an American association or an Atlantic league type schedule, which is essentially more like how they do it in like major league baseball. Uh, and where it's kind of like, well, like, you're a little bit lighter of a schedule on Thursdays and Mondays, but like you can play any day. I think for an indie ball standpoint and even a minor league standpoint in general, I like the organization of that and just like, Hey, minor leagues or Monday is your travel day. Uh, so, uh, and then they'll organize like the one, the places that you go, or maybe you stay at home, uh, the places you go, like after an off day, you obviously try to cut down on travel in that sense. So, I think I think the if uh, to answer the question like which type of scheduling do I prefer I prefer the way the Frontier League does it. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with it. Selfishly, I like because it, it makes the the load a lot lighter on Monday. Where if I want to do any sort of a post or any sort of a review or anything like that, I can kind of go okay. I could start it on Sunday night, get all the prep work done, and then on Monday go ahead bang it all out. So that way, if you want to do like a series preview or something like that, you have some more time to actually work. You're not kind of like against the gun, like, okay, I got to get these things out for first pitch, which in this one place is 545, this place is 615, this one's 7 o'clock. You're not really scrambling. So selfishly from, you know, like a am making content perspective, I much appreciate the Monday off day. But also from a practical perspective, I, I like it a lot better too. I think it works better for travel. It lets you do that, you know, weekend series where you could just kind of go closer and then that beginning of the week, you can do your long road trip. So I like the Frontier League system better. I don't hate the Atlantic Leagues where it's like occasionally you'll play on a Monday. I don't dislike that either. I think that that can work and make sense sometimes. But I think part of the benefit of having that Monday off day is let's say you get rained out one day and you need to make that game up. 
it gives you that opportunity to do that, you know. So I like that. It allows for a little bit more flexibility in the scheduling. And like you said, well, it's a lot easier to follow. It's more consistent. I think consistency really does matter at this level. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. So I, I prefer the Frontier League in that mm-hmm. sense. All right. So, and I think this is the last one from this individual because then the type of question shifts a little bit. But uh, question number seven, uh, every team has at least one bright spot. Can you think of anything, and anything is in all caps here, and well, you know, because you see the document here, but for everyone else, it does say anything in all caps, anything statistically related that the Empire State Grays did as a team. Well, they were historic in their own right. That's about the only positive thing I could say. I mean, what, they won four games? Wait, hold on, hold on, Nick. Hold on. Does every team have to have at least one bright spot? I, I don't... I could think of lots that, of teams that don't have any. That's spots. a very good point. You know, the premise is faulty because we did see a lot of just garbage, garbage baseball this past uh, this past year. I mean, sec- my mistake. They won six games of grades, six and ninety. I mean, there's no bright spot to that. I'm sorry, but yeah, I mean, you had other teams that were you know hovering around that thirty win mark. But uh, yeah, like I I would agree with you there. Not every team has a bright spot here. I mean, I think we could probably scramble and find one for most other teams here. But, like, what do you want me to say about the Grays? Like, really? I they, think, yeah. As a team, there, there's not really anything I could say. The on, If you're looking for, is there only the only bright spot I could possibly find? Uh, Trey Woosley, I guess. He mm-hmm. hit 268, uh, slugged 420. Only got on base at a 298 clip, but that's not bad. And he hit, he hit seven home runs as well. Uh, so, yeah, that's, I guess, I mean, also Manny Garcia hit 11 home runs to lead the team. Only one in double digits, but he hit 224 with a 280 on base. So that's not great. But, uh, you know, I'll say the for your bright spot, Trey Woosley had a decent year. I mean, Jose Mercado was kind of okay. I mean, he um, struck out 65 times in 85 yeah, he, games. He, he slugged 309. I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, his, on, his on base was 343. I mean, that's probably that's higher than the team average. Now, that granted, the true. team average is under 300, but you know, I mean, at this point, it does feel like we're a bit kicking the mother down. Uh, but I mean, this is a team that collectively hit 227. I mean, like, there's not too many uh, bright spots to take away from this. If anything, I'd say the brightest spot here is that, uh, what was it, uh, MacArthur got out of the, got off that team yeah. and onto the uh, Titans, who had a very good season. You know, like, that. that's probably it. I mean, I'd like to see maybe pitching-wise is a guy I'm overlooking here. You know, uh, that could very well be it. Um, I'm going to scroll down quickly to look at their pitching to see if anyone really stood out but i think he'll be disappointed that's what i'm expecting here i mean holden bernhardt while he was there for his 14 games had a sub two era so that's certainly positive in in 16 two-thirds uh but again as far as like like here all season gotten like at least say 17 games or started either started at least 10 or gotten at least uh 15 i mean Jesus Rosario had a uh, strikeup per nine of nearly uh, ten and a half, actually over ten and a half, in his twenty-three innings of work. So that's kind of cool. Durer he pitched about sixty innings, had a strikeout rate of about eight per nine. 
but he let 14 home runs and had an ERA of nearly eight. So, I mean, strike him out or watch him circle the bag. So, um, to answer the question, I think both can say is there really isn't anything statistically redeeming about this team. Not as a team. I guess you could point out a couple of individuals that were fine, but, you know, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, that's pretty much the case here. Um, earlier, I said we we're going to get another one of those personal questions. We have that with question number eight. Could you both give some background on yourselves? All I know is what can be pieced together from comments made on air. Also, how did the podcast evolve from an idea to a reality? I guess if you want to start with the first part of that, Will, you could go with the first part because I'm obviously going to have a long-winded answer because the second half of that's yeah. really a, a me question. Yeah, considering I wasn't around for the beginning of it. but oh, You only missed uh, like eight, nine months. Yeah, I know. I mean... Uh, all right, so background on myself. Um, I guess that I grew up around, I mean, I grew up in central Jersey and like kind of near Somerset. So I, I would go to games as a, uh, I'd go, I'd go to games a good amount as, as a kid or whatever. I didn't really pay a, a whole lot of attention, but uh, essentially, I guess in the um, going into my, I guess after I was kind of just looking for stuff to do. Cause like I had my car and I was like, all right, like, I guess I have a car now. I can just nothing stopping me from just going to drive and see a baseball game, like as a junior in high school. Yeah. And so like, I just drove to like a random, like, all right, like I'm just going to go watch the Patriots. And I think they're playing the road warriors or something. And, uh, and I was like, wow, this is like, this is fun. Like I can just go drive and see baseball games whenever I want. And then I got, I was able to get connected uh, with some season ticket holders there uh, as well, um, and uh, kind of became kind of became friendly with them, and so it was, and so you know, it gave me a big reason to, to keep going back, and uh, I would end up, I was end up there being ending up being there pretty much every night, uh, every night that I could go at least, um, and you know, it was uh, I kind of just like fell in love with indie ball in that way, and like uh, you know, kind of got to know kind of got to know the players and got to know the players a lot. And then, um, you know, started my Instagram account and, uh, got to know a lot of the league that way. Um, and, you know, and, and since then, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm definitely pursuing like a pursuing like a career in, uh, like baseball operations scouting. That's what I've been working. That's what I've been doing like in the summer, last two summers, probably for the third summer as well. Um, and so, you know, we'll see where that goes, uh, because, and it all kind of started because, uh, that's what I would do, like, and kind of like analyze signings and stuff like that and players, uh, in the Atlantic league. Uh, so I guess, uh, I guess that would be what, I guess that would be what I would say as far as, uh, some back, some background on myself, I guess, if you're looking for like real personal stuff. I guess the fun fact is, is as much as like I want a career in baseball and stuff and, uh, and that I, uh, and that like I love baseball, uh, I actually was not a good baseball player at all. So I guess that's, I guess that's a, that's a fun, uh, piece of background about me is like I never played baseball past, uh, I never played baseball past, uh, like my eighth grade year, like in middle school. Uh, and so once I went to high school, it was, it was, ju- it was just football and basketball for me. So, uh, and so I actually, 
I, I guess like I, I mean like now like if you put me like on a baseball field like I mean I can ca- I can catch fly balls like that's what I do in the summer like when I'm shagging in the outfield. So um, I, I guess I have decent baseball skills now, but like no, I, I actually did not. I was not like a very good at baseball at all. Like when I when the base pass moved from. 50, 70, or 46, 60 to like the big field, like my power kind of went away and I wasn't that great. So, uh, so I guess, yeah, but I guess, um, I'm hoping to get into a career to watching people and kind of judging players who are a lot better than I ever was. So, uh, I guess that would basically answer the question. Yeah. Really, the shocking thing is you never went down the basketball path, which I'm sure you never get comments about that at all. So, yeah. Oh, never. <laughs> yeah. Being that you're like taller than an NBA center, but you know. That's not true. <laughs> it, it would be true if we were talking about 1960s players, you know, true. against plumbers yeah, and that firemen. Is true. True. That is all. That is true. But, uh, yeah. So I guess I'll just quickly go over the first part of that because the second half, it's kind of wordy and I can bleed the two together. So long and short is I was always kind of interested in like doing. I guess, communications type stuff, but I never really knew what that was formally called going into college. So I was kind of like, ah, that stuff seems cool. But my high school never really promoted that they did that, despite having actually like a really nice, what would be a great podcasting suite there that was like a sound enclosed thing with like pretty good like road mics and everything like that. But they never used it, so whatever. So I didn't really know it. So I wound up bouncing around a bit, going from like... uh Oh, what was it? Political science, though, I think I started when I was going to go to St. Anselm. But then I was like, ah, I don't really want to pay $120,000 for that degree. So then I bailed on that. Wound up going to community college for a couple of years. Did public administration until I realized, wait a minute, I have to do like accounting and stuff like that. And it would take me another year and a half. Yeah, no, nah, we ain't doing that. So I switched to liberal arts so that way I graduate on time. And then I caught on to like, oh, wait, this is what calm is. And so when I wound up going to see you, uh, then I wound up going communications. And so at the end of my first semester there, what I had done was I, you know, you kind of got pieced together a, a, a course schedule last minute in my case, because I was took until like end of May, beginning of June to formally decide, OK, where am I going to get my bachelor's from? And so, obviously, at that point, it's slim pickings because everybody else picked through the schedule back in, like, January, February. You know, they mapped up what they're going to do with their advisors and stuff. So, I got, like, the runt of the litter. And what one of the classes left was podcasting and radio broadcasting. So, I did that. And then, at the end of it, I was like, you know what? I've always kind of been interested in doing a podcast. I just don't know what on. And then independent league baseball kind of became like the thing and the reason why it kind of became that thing was i was like the summer before i really got into going to minor league ball games because it was like somerset was right there because i'm in essex county new jersey so northern new jersey somerset's not that far the jackals were right there the miners were kind of sort of near by where a lot of my friends lived so we'd go to those games a lot we go up to Rockland because that's only like a 45-minute drive anyway. So it wasn't that bad. So we really got into, you know, like Can-Am League in particular, but a little bit of Atlantic League ball for a while. And I remember going to Nork Bear games and stuff too as a kid. So like I was kind of getting into this. And as actually is on the website still, 
we'd go ahead and we'd always kind of like come up with nicknames for the players and stuff and just kind of like go real crazy about it. Like if I'm remembering right, the first one was a early season night game uh, between Sugarland and Somerset. And we were just like, for whatever reason, giving it to Anthony G and Santi. We were just going in and like it was Gallipoli, Tugboat, uh, G Insanity, uh, just like a bunch of different ones. I don't even remember all of them now, but we were going all out on that. And um, yeah, so when we came time to do a podcast, uh, the three leading contenders for me were either going the hockey route, which I was like, there's so many people doing the hockey podcast. You're going to be a voice in the sea. It's not, you're not going to gain any traction on it. Uh, and AAF podcast, if you remember that defunct football league, which when they failed, like, I guess it'd be three months after the show started, I was like, wow, I made the right call on that one. And then <laughs> independent league baseball. And so my thinking was nobody else is doing independent league baseball talk. It seems like a pretty easy market to break into. And as I've learned to discover, um, the show became easier to do because people want to help you out and they want to, you know, make it easier for you to promote their stuff and promote the game as a whole. And so I guess in a roundabout way, that's kind of how it started was I was looking for a podcast to do. I had a board and I kind of knew what I was doing. And the topic of independently baseball was the one that piqued my interest the most. Uh, as far as like other facts about me, uh, similar but different to Will, I've never actually played organized baseball, which is why I was like really afraid to do this in the beginning because like I had watched baseball obviously growing up, but having never really played and never really like got a deeper appreciation for strategy in the game and not really understanding like a lot of the stats and shit outside of like batting average and home runs when I first started, I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing here. And I've gradually over time, obviously I've kind of figured it out. But yeah, I never really played any organized baseball. Like I've played obviously like baseball and wiffle ball with my friends growing up. That's obvious. But like as far as that goes, like the sport I know, like the two sports I know the best are golf, which has been the one I played since I was five and hockey, which while I've never really played too much, I just know the game because I've watched it since I was like three or four years old. So I know, you know, generally speaking, the strategy behind a different like layouts how you'd run a power plate things like that so yeah that's kind of that uh i don't really think there's too much else here if anything uh i'm also looking at law school too so that's kind of a thing so yeah that, that's pretty much i think all the important background information and information on the show so uh i guess with that we can move on to the next one unless i forgot something but i don't think i did so uh yeah on that note, we will go to question number nine. Would it be better for the Frontier League if it spun off from the merger and went back to two leagues? I will assume this means the Can-Am League and Frontier League merger. Uh, I think we can both confidently say it wouldn't be good for any of the teams that spun off. And I think the Frontier League's doing fine with their current team number. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that I think the Frontier League at the moment is the best that it's ever been. Um, and I know that it, there's teams that, and it covers a wide, like, part of the area, like, a, a wide, like, area of the country. Um, however, I think the fact that it has, that the Frontier League also has some teams, like, 
in Canada and on the East Coast, like in the New York metropolitan area. I think that's really good for the league. I think it's been a very successful merger, uh, and I do not think it would be bad. I think, well, it would if they went back to like the, I guess I'll call it the old Frontier League, I don't think it would be, uh, I don't think it would be, well, it would basically kill the teams that, uh, that are in the New York metro area. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think it would make it that much better for the teams that are actually at the Midwest. So I think that, uh, I do not think they, it would be better for the league if it, if it spun off from the merger. Yeah. Like all the New Jersey teams would be pretty much that on arrival i think the boulders could probably jump to the atlantic league and possibly try city too um but yeah all of them would be dead i wouldn't really love the odds of the canadian team sticking around either seeing as there's three of them and there's no other league for them to join so i imagine they probably have to try and go college route which would be a tragedy to see quebec have to stoop down to the college level it would really be a genuine yeah. tragedy i'd be very upset about that actually um but yeah, honestly, like you said, well, though, it, having the New York markets, having like Quebec, having, you know, some of these other areas, they're just prime markets. It helps the league more than it hurts the league. And I don't even think it really hurts the league at all. What hurts the league more is having the Grays. Getting rid of the Grays is, I think, a priority number one going into 2023 for that league. They need to be gone. They just have to be. So, yeah. Uh, Keep it moving. Going to question number 10 here. About halfway done after 47 minutes, but we're going to keep it moving. Hopefully get it done in half hour or less. Um, I believe the Atlantic League still has the best product on the field. This is the question, not me speaking. Uh, The other leagues seem to be moving forward in all aspects of the business while they sit quietly watching the world march by. Why is this silent? Why is everything met with silence? Will they ever get a decent social media marketing and public relations presence? I will assume, and it is pretty clear from the wording of the question, that that question, or those three questions, I guess, are in reference to the Atlantic League. Why the Atlantic League uh, doesn't really comment anything, and when will the Atlantic League get decent social media marketing and public relations? Yeah, I think that um, I think the Atlantic League. Uh, if I were to guess, I still think they have the best products, but not by much. The gap is really closed in that in that aspect, and I think a lot of it. I think there it's it, there is a connection to the whole social media marketing, PR presence, and and really just the way that the league is currently run. I don't think that. I don't think that those things that seemingly are not that connected, I think they're more connected than you realize. Not that a player will be picking any sort of thing based on social media or PR or whatever, but I think just the perception, uh, the perception of the league and really since the Atlantic league went full on into that uh, major league, uh, major league baseball partnership with the rule changes. It's really, um, since that point it, it is, they've struggled. Um, and when, I mean, the person who asked the question saying the other leagues seem to be moving forward in all aspects, I, that's true. It's a hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you see, and, and that's not even just, uh, the American association and the frontier league, the pioneer league has, um, as far as their, as far as their kind of off the field stuff, they had their, like, of course their own roundup show this past, this past year. I mean, they're they're kind of moving forward, and the Atlantic League still seems kind of stuck in the past. Uh, I the everything being met in silence. I I wish I had an answer for that. It's something that drives me off the wall, 
every single story that uh, that every single horror story that breaks out that seems to be like, hey, like someone from the league needs to say something about this. Like, I don't know. Uh, like, for example, with the turf in Lexington or something, where like there there has to be a bunch of games postponed, right? I mean, you have uh, you have the whole umpire incident in Charleston. You have, the, I mean, I could go on and on and on about uh, about these these things that the Atlantic League's solution is just to stay quiet until it blows over and goes on business as usual. But while in the short term that might that might be fine, it still is hurting their long term kind of uh, vision. And because at the end of the day, I mean the. The social media, I will say, has gotten better. It's better than it was, but it's still not up to par from what it needs to be. Um, and I, I guess if they actually put together like ways to market the players that are that are in the league, the way that the American Association does, and the way like when's the last time you saw the Atlantic League like posting like a top ten plays of the week type of thing, right? Like when yeah. has that ever happened? It's it's not that again. I'll tell you one thing. It's not that hard to do. It's really not, um, and it's frustrating to me as somebody, uh, of course, and of course I'm not uh, as in, into the Atlantic League as I as I once was. But it's it's really frustrating uh, to see that you know that there's a lot of players who deserve a lot of shine and they don't and they don't get it. Uh, get it from the league. So uh, will they ever get it? I don't know. I hope so, um, but. It certainly is not there now, and it's you know we kind of sound like a broken record, but it needs to, it needs to get better, and it's a shame that uh, that the other leagues seem to be lapping them in this sense. Yeah, and I agree with a lot of what Will just said there, and I always hate when we get to like conversations of what they can do better because in the end, like I look back and I almost feel like it. Like we don't intend it to be this way, but it almost sounds like we're kicking them while they're down. But at the same point in time, they don't fix anything. They don't make any sort of reasonable attempt at correcting problems, which, you know, me, Will, Ryan, the general public keep pointing out to them. So it's not like it's just we're kicking them while they're down. It's that this is a common issue that's just not getting solved. As far as the question in general, uh, I think the answer for meet it with silence is kind of the, like Will said, ignore the problem, it'll go away. Uh, and that's kind of their go-to bread and butter type of solution and i'd be lying to say you know they're not wrong uh you know they're they're right on that to a certain degree i mean we'll remember it we'll make a note of it it'll be talked about and then we'll move on from it because we got other things to do there and they're not in a big enough spotlight in a general sense where unless it's a major mistake uh that you'll get any sort of notable media coverage so if you're staying off the radar of like your, you know, your major news outlets and it's just guys like me and Will and Ryan talking about it, then you can survive it pretty easily. Um, so there's really no incentive to release a statement that could make you look bad and kind of downgrade the viewpoint of the league, even if it does seem more professional. That said, I still would much rather they go ahead and roll some dice on that. Obviously biased. Obviously, I have an incentive to want them to release suspensions, release disciplinary actions, release more information. I'd obviously prefer that. But, I mean, it's not like it's terribly difficult to get that information anyway. I mean, that's just asking, like, the right person or two. 
And if I don't know them, I'm, I know somebody that probably does know who the right people are, and I'll just ask them and get it secondhand. Like, I won't feel as good about it, but I'll still feel pretty confident about it. So it's the silence. It works in a general sense, but when you get into the minutiae, it doesn't work. But because it prevents a bigger issue, that's why they're just going to keep going with silence. Um, I also agree with one in the sense of I think that gap's really narrow now between, like, the Atlantic League and the American Association. <clears throat> I think if we were to put two all-star teams up against each other from each league in a best of three, I'm I'm very confident that uh, I'd pick the American Association in it, to be blunt. Uh, uh, that's, of course, assuming we have a neutral site game. Like, let's say we play it in Pittsburgh or something, where it's kind of like nobody's territory. Um, or we play in Evansville, where it's probably leaning more American, but pretty neutral territory. I feel pretty confident about the American Association being able to take two or three. I think it'd be close, but I think they could do it. Um, so I'm not necessarily certain that I'd say the Atlantic like, has the best product anymore. I think there's a lot of gray area there now. As far as getting decent social media marketing and public relations, um, I just like to see the same person running the press end of it for more than two years at a time. Because it seems like every year they trade whose job it is. And it's kind of annoying that way because I never really have a direct contact until I get one press release a year with the person's name on it. Uh, so I'd like to see that. But yeah, like I don't see why you can't have teams, you know, make content on their own end. But like say each week we want you guys to send us a couple of gifts, a couple of video clips, a couple of whatever or something like that. And use that in your promotion or just have one straight up Atlantic League media week or media day where you get all the teams in each division to one central location in the south you could say bring them all to High Point in the north you could say bring them all to Lancaster or wherever you want it to be bring them there or hell you can even do it at like the Atlantic League tryout camps and whatnot and try to get content out of that. But I think doing like the team training camps, having a media day, like before or after that, when we have rosters, you know, somewhat set and being able to get some media clips from that, from guys that we know are going to be there the whole year. There's some guys we know that are going to be there the whole year. Get those guys there, have them do like all the fun videos you see released throughout the year on, you know, MLB and NHL and NFL uh, Twitter pages. You could do that for the Atlantic League, and I think that's very well possible. I mean, look at the Ducks page. They, they're they not killing it, but they certainly have personality there. They're certainly doing a good job on it, you know. It's very much passable. It's very good. They have, like, the pronounce this random Long Island town name. They have a couple of, like, questions and whatnot. Even the Pioneer League's doing just basic stuff like that. And I don't see why that's terribly difficult. Everybody else, like the questions, at, says it's passing them by on that off-the-field element. And it just feels like we have a lot of old brass ownership that does not really appreciate the importance of it. Or it does, but just doesn't want to put the effort in. And I think that's really where the frustration comes is it's just a lack of effort. There's people that they can get to do it well. I mean, you saw when Ryan was running the Lexington page, he was doing that very well. And then, you know, that didn't work out good for him in the end. But yeah, like it, it's just a bit frustrating. So to answer when, I don't know if they ever will. So uh, going to question 11, why is the silence deafening from Frederick? Because Frederick doesn't even know what they're doing. That's why it's deafening. I mean, the, this kind of uh, 
this kind of loops in with question number 10, doesn't it? It does, actually, yeah. It, it actually is a really nice uh, a couplet. Uh, to, to More to the point, though, the Frederick, actually, I don't know how much staff they actually have made. I I have no idea what's going on there. Yeah. It is is bizarre. <laughs> it is uh, it's bizarre. Um, I'm not saying it won't happen, but yeah, I I, I don't have much. I, it's it's very just odd. Is the best way to put it. It is a good way of putting it because, like, to be blunt, nobody really knows. Like, all of us are trying to figure out what they're doing, and I think like Frederick. Part of the problem is the keys are still there. So it's working that out and trying to figure like, okay, what exactly is this team going to be? Is it just going to be like a date filler? We don't really care because we don't have a logo. We don't have a brand. We have a schedule, but not a website. We have no promotion or mention on the Frederick Keys site. There's really been no like outside reporting about this. Um, so it really, like I, when I jokingly said, nobody knows what's going on with Frederick. I genuinely mean that. Like nobody knows what's going on with Frederick. Not me, not Will, not Ryan, not a soul. So we're trying to figure that out. We're all trying to get the general idea and we're trying to figure out what the end goal here is. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but that's why the deafening silence, because it's still a matter of getting everything settled. And we're at Christmas 2022. They're supposed to take the field in about, what, four months, five months. Yeah. And it's getting real kind of like, okay, we may want to start selling tickets. We may want to at least have a brand. We may want to do something here because we miss like some of the prime ticket package times here. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yep. It's uh... (laughs) a... I wish we had answers, but I don't think anyone does. Exactly. Uh, question 12, which I kind of find funny. I kind of find like, wow, really? Uh, but yeah, question 12. Can we get more Ryan? Um, I guess. I mean, like, we could probably work sure. on... Yeah, like, we could probably work something out where we bring him on, like, on a scheduled period, maybe not monthly, but probably, like, every six weeks or something. We could probably work something out there, but... I mean, I hope he doesn't listen to this because I'll get an ego about it and then I'll have to listen to that. So that'd be awful for me. Yeah. You know, I know. So, uh, but yeah, we probably could work something out here, but uh, I'm going to keep him a mute button close by. But yeah, we probably could get him on. Uh, question 13. Uh, what name did you decide for the Cochran Gill jersey? Okay, so this is for me. Uh, I had put up a poll on Twitter and Instagram uh, saying, I'm going to get a Trey Cochran Gill jersey. Should I put Law Firm on the back or Cochran Gill on the back? And I believe the winner of that poll by like six votes wound up being Law Firm. So I'm th- I don't honestly remember what I put down on that. But I'm pretty sure I went law firm. Either way, when I get the jersey, which is supposed to be here before the season starts, like they want the orders in by end of year, but I think there's not getting here until like April. So when it comes in, I'm going to take a picture of it and it will be posted. And so you'll know them for certain. But I think it's law firm, but I don't know for certain. That that would be electric if it's that, if you actually if it ends up being a law firm jersey. It want, if it's law firm, okay, we're getting Trey on. Like, I'm going to make a point to try and get Trey on. And, he has to. Yeah, we're going to get him on. And then I, I, I doubt we wear the same size jersey. But if we do, I'm going to try and be like, dude, 
What you need to do is put this baby on when you come into the game once. Just do it once. See if they notice. Nick, you, you guys do not wear the same size jersey. I know. I have, wait, what's that? What? How tall is he? Tall. Like I don't know. Tall. He's a pitcher. Yeah. Like, let's see. Trey Cochran Gill. Baseball reference. They won't lie to me. No, I'm taller than he is. What? Yeah, he's only 5'10". I'm 6'2". <laughs> All right. We can make we this can make work still. We can make this work still. I, before, it was more of a joke than anything else, but now I'm actually thinking we can make this work. I'll, I'll leave you to that one. Honestly, though, like, I'm looking at all the pictures of him pitching. Like, he's a bigger build than I am, but not by that much. Like, I'm, I'm not I'm not, I'm not, not messing around. Like, I think we can make this work. Well, Yo, wait. You, you, you got some contacts to make it happen. We do. And I think I'm actually going to vaguely mention them at the end of this. But, like, in a couple weeks from now, you guys are going to know in detail what those contacts are. I'm going to suggest this and I'm going to try and make this work. <laughs> uh, any case, yeah. uh, on to 14. Do you have a favorite indie ball league and why is it your favorite? Um, I guess uh, I have to think about that for a second, actually. Well, if you have a direct answer, I mean, go for it. Ah. <sighs> I can't switch up on the Atlantic. I mean, I spend so much time saying about all the things the Atlantic League has to do better, but I can't switch up on them. They've got me this far. I can't. Uh, I can't switch up on them. Uh, it's my favorite because, well, I guess like so, well, I, mean, I guess I can technically go to Frontier League games, but uh, I don't know. It's just uh, been Atlantic League games for a long time. Seen a lot of great players come through there. A lot of big names come through there, um, and. Uh, just a lot of fun memories and excitement and I don't know, it would take a lot to unseat the Atlantic League as much as as much as I think they're doing some things wrong. Uh, I think that uh, they're still get the title as my favorite indie ball league. See, like for old time's sake, I want to go Atlantic too, because I have a lot of good memories of like the Bears and getting this all started with Somerset and whatnot. But like currently I really like the American Association, not gonna lie. Like all the guy like obviously pretty much everyone that I've ran into doing this is pretty friendly, pretty helpful. But like the American Association like man, I like their quality of play. I like the way they present their game. I like a lot of what they do. And their teams are pretty cool. They got a high level of play too. They make it easy to enjoy their game. Like I probably I'm probably siding with them. Although, because the KM is now the frontier, I'm kind of wanting to go with them too. But yeah, it's uh, it's a toss up there. Like honestly, a favorite, it's hard to say. Uh, old time sake, I want to say Atlantic League, but probably current day, I, I would go uh, American Association. But uh, I figured, I figured, I figured you would be you would be on the, and that's not a bad choice at all. Either. Yeah. Yeah, so question 15 and I promise I didn't put this question in I really want to make that clear uh, I've just because I never really expected to get a question like this uh, but I do appreciate getting it uh, do you all have a f- Patreon or a way to support the show uh, the answer is no there isn't a Patreon I've thought about it before but I genuinely thought nobody would be interested in giving me money for doing this and uh, also it just kind of felt a little bit off doing that like i don't know why i just didn't feel quite right doing it because it made it feel like more of a money grab even though it really wouldn't be at all 
Uh, I just didn't like that thought. And also, like I said, I didn't think anyone actually want to give us money. So, no, there isn't a Patreon or really a way to support the show other than, you know, the standard end of show, like rate, review, subscribe, that whole preamble or postamble at the end. Um, I could possibly see something like that happening down the road, but there really isn't a, a direct plan for that right now. Uh, so, yeah. You know, you know I think, uh, or if you, are a, if you are one of 10 people in the United States of America that have Google Pay, Oh my you God! Pay, you can you can pay Nick Firestone directly. I don't know why Google Pay is that odd of a thing. Like, and and don't and don't ask him for Venmo or Zelle or anything because he doesn't have it. I don't he have Venmo has, or Zelle. He just has Google Pay along with like ten other Americans. <laughs> because Google Pay remembers my credit card information, and when I order food online, so it's a lot ev- easier. So does every site ever. It's easier with Google though. It's like so much easier, and it's already like it's kept in the same spots, like my Google Wallet and everything. <laughs> like, yeah, like it just it works easier. I don't like I don't trust Venmo. I'm not gonna lie. I don't trust Venmo Why? and so. I don't know. Why? I just I don't trust it. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. And so, thing. and when I say why, and you say I don't know, I just don't trust it. Means you have no reason not to trust it. I I just I don't. I don't trust it, man. There's something off about it. I just don't know. Google pays the same thing. It's just nobody has it. <laughs> plenty of people have Google Pay. We don't know who they are, but plenty of people have it. I told you already. There's 10, 10 you and 10 other Americans. <laughs> yeah, but those 10 other Americans are probably important or something. No, they, they probably just live like, I don't know. In like Pioneer League country or something. <laughs> Talking mad shit about the Pioneer League. No, no, that's and the not people that support it. Not at all. I gotta look it up real quick. How many people use Google Pay? I want to know if we have a rough number, so that way I could fight back with something. Twenty-five million people use Google Pay, sir. So yeah. Okay, I'll give you a twenty. I'll compromise at twenty-five. <laughs> Hey, according to business.com, it's 25 million. That's more than Samsung Pay and, you know, less than Apple Pay, but still. Wow, it has more than Samsung Pay. Uh, impressive. Look, I have another one from uh, clevertap.com. This is 100 million users. Well, that's just incorrect. <laughs> you don't trust the uh, Clever Pay? No. I, the I don't know. I just clever. Don't. First, it was people living in Montana and Idaho and Utah and Colorado, and now it's clever pay. I mean, you're on a rampage, sir. I I know. It's just that 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 kind of day. Just mad disrespect. And I'll have <laughs> you know, that's Android's default mobile payment solution, and it runs 110 billion dollars in transactions in 2019. Google Pay. So well, yeah, that's your first problem. Well, look, I for Rock and Android's the better way of doing it. So, like, we're not going to get into that right now. But the disrespect has been next level so far. But uh, qu- anyway, question six, team. When you started the show, do you think it would be what the show turned into? I will interpret that to be um, when you started the show, you had one vision of it. Did it live up to that vision? Now there are fire horns going off. I will tell you, I didn't envision fire horns being in the middle of my show, but um, 
it certainly was something I was prepared for. Uh, so with that said, uh, it's definitely taken a bit of a different turn. I feel like the initial goal and still kind of the guiding light of it is more of a, like an amalgamation of information from around the league, not necessarily reporting about just like reporting stories that are happening around not doing like original reporting although we have started dabbling that a little bit uh so i would say it kind of changed a little bit over but the main goal was just like here here's news from around all the independent leagues so you could find all the major things in one spot and have a little bit of discussion and back and forth and you know uh conversation about that news so that was kind of the main goal and i say it's mostly that that said, you know, I do think maybe changing it up, and it gets to a question later on where I'll go in a little bit more detail, but changing up the format a little bit may be something to do in 23, particularly when the season gets going, just because, I, you know, we've done the same format since 2019, and I want to keep from getting too stale, so maybe switching it up a little bit, trying to be a little bit more engaging is something there. Still, the same goal will remain there, but... Uh, Changing up the way we do things may be something that comes about. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, change is, uh, it's never a bad thing in that sense. But I think, uh, you know, as far as the, 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 one of the other questions, as far as did I think it would turn into this? Well, I don't really know because it was pretty much it when I, uh, when I started joining as a co host. So, you know. The promotional structure and the ability to rise to the ranks on this show is unrivaled. True. That is. You, you, if you believe, you can achieve. I've saying that in 20, and I'll say it again in 22, and I'll say it in 23. You could just rise to the ranks here. Uh, on to question 17, nearly done here. Are there going to be any... Are there going to... Are you going to post more articles and or on Instagram more? Uh, yes. Uh, as I mentioned briefly earlier on the describe yourself section, I think question eight it was, um, currently in the process of applying to law schools. And what they require from you is your resume, easy enough to do, pretty much already have one made, uh, filling out an application, which is pretty much just putting in, you know, basic application information, ensuring you don't have a criminal record. And if you do, having to write why you have a criminal record. Uh, in my case, I don't have a criminal record, so that's good for me. So I didn't have to write that out. But uh, in addition to say, an LSAT score, which is basically a legal SAT score, uh, which means absolutely nothing, is a BS test that I hate with a burning passion and means exactly nothing the second you submit a deposit uh, for your seat in like law class. Uh, so it really is pointless, but costs me $210 every time I take the damn thing. And I've done that three times and I am done with that crap and I'm never doing it again. Uh, the other thing you really need is a personal statement on top of letters of rec. I already have the letters of rec. That's not a problem. But I come to realize you can't just use one blanket personal statement for everything. Because if you do that, uh, the admissions department see through it. And they realize, huh, he's using the same one for everything, isn't he? Because there's nothing directly about why he wants to come to our school. And there's nothing about, you know, why this is a good fit. So... I've been spending the last couple of months just writing a bunch of personal statements as to why I want to go to law school X, what they can provide me, and why I want to go into a career in uh, the uh, law. So 
to answer the question, yes, there's going to be a lot more posts. There's a coach's post that I said I was going to do that I never did that I'm going to do. I promise I'm going to do it. It'll probably be in 23, about five months late, but I'm going to do it nonetheless, which is going to get everything up to date. There's a couple of other interesting articles I want to write, but I need to finish all the personal statements, get all my applications in uh, before I can do uh, the articles otherwise. But good news is I only have like two personal statements left to write. And uh, then we will be able to write about fun things like Indie Ball. So I would say, yes, in the new year, there's going to be a lot more. Expect by like beginning to end of January, beginning to middle of January, actually, uh, to see more uh, articles and things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that. I have to say those, those personal statements and law school applications doesn't sound fun. I'm glad I didn't have to work that hard in school. So. Yeah. At first, they weren't that bad because I was used to typing everything out for indie ball and whatnot in single space. So when they were like size 12, double, double space, pretty much MLA format, I was like, oh, cool. So it's just like in college, just MLA format. Awesome. And so I knocked up the first couple real quick. And then after you write about 10 to 12 pages saying essentially the same thing man does it really just it kill you on the inside to do that and uh you really just lose the motivation to do it and you just kind of got to battle through it and it's really hard battling through it sometimes so uh yeah it's not exactly a fun time but i just keep seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and telling myself once i get in and they give me money it'll be worth it uh so yeah question 18 who are you getting on the show? Uh, well, we mentioned earlier we we're having the uh, GM for Windy City on. Um, that interview is going to be done probably in about 20 minutes once we finish this episode. So you'll have that next week. So that'll be out on, hey, it'll actually be on my birthday, the 31st. So you'll have that one next week. The week after that, I don't think we have something scheduled, but I have people that I said I want to get on the show that we have to get on the show. And oh, wait, no. I just remembered the uh, Cleburne. Cleburne, I got to talk to him and get him on. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to have someone from Cleburne on. I don't want to give away names or anything until we have them locked in stone. Uh, so if we get the Cleburne guy, he'll be that first week of January. Then um, we should, by, by should, I mean like we have it scheduled. It's on the docket to do for that second week of January, week of the 9th. Uh, so we out on the 14th, we have two people from Tri-City. Um, I almost gave it away earlier, but we'll have two of them on, uh, to talk to. And then after that, we're pretty open, but I am working to kind of get that filled, but I want to get the ones that are scheduled, you know, scheduled in, at least in the can before we get more. But so far we have four people scheduled over the course of the next three weeks. So you'll have a bunch of interviews. Uh, again, we're trying to get more baseball operations, you know, managers. Um, I want to try and get a couple players on too. More guys like that because I think that's more interesting than front office people, even though I enjoy doing the front office interviews a lot. So, uh, but yeah, I understand they're not for everyone. So, uh, yeah, so that's really the kind of plan for uh, who we're getting on the show. Yeah, I think uh, in particular, there's, there's uh, one interview that I think people will be very excited for. Yeah, just saying. That one was really fun too, and I gotta. I appreciate uh, 
them working with us on that one because I had to change the date a couple of times on them and they were very gracious about it and they moved it around and I'm very excited for it. And it's a full hour too, which is even better. So, uh, yeah, question 19, anything new in 2023? I alluded to that a little bit ago. Um, yeah, I want to try and do a couple of things here. Um, I want to kind of try and do some series previews, series recaps. I know Ryan said he's going to do the same, so hopefully we're not competing too much with each other. Uh, we already talked about doing them, so, I mean, we're not stepping on toes there. Uh, so I want to kind of do that a little bit. I want to try and change up the format of the show a little bit, not too much, and try and get maybe some, like, one-day-a-week live stream a game. You know, obviously, I can't live stream the game itself. Uh, the leagues don't want me doing that, I could imagine, and stealing from their view total. But I can live stream myself watching and commentating on it. So that's something I'd be very interested in doing. Uh, some newer stuff like that. Uh, trying to post a little bit more, maybe like one article every two weeks, maybe an Instagram post in addition to the show post a week. Um, like I said, the weekly, po the podcast won't go anywhere. That's always going to be up every week. And, and then try to get at least one or two, maybe more uh, live streams uh, as well, too. So there's a bunch of stuff I'm interested in doing, uh, but got to work out the logistics of it. But I expect at least one or two of those things in 2023. Yeah, I think, um, you know, no, definitely don't want to mess the time with what works, but always room to add some new stuff as well. Exactly. Uh, question 20, the penultimate question. Uh, are you going to do the division recaps, like you said? So that's in reference to uh, back when Frontier League was ending. I said, yeah, we're going to recap each of the divisions over the offseason, and uh, we'll go ahead and break down each division, talk about them, and go in more detail to each team season then. And then we had the whole uh, issue with the previous podcasting host, which... Um, still annoys the hell out of me and i have a lot of feelings about that that i'm not going to say um all that happened on top of the playoffs on top of championship weekends so the thought of doing the division recaps kind of fell by the wayside and we were playing catch up for a little bit at the end of september beginning of october and after that you know there was some actual news coming out and then we started doing some interviews and the division recap thing kind of went by on the wayside to be entirely honest. So I'm thinking in 2023, once we start getting going on those shows, the kind of plan is going to be like a third of the show is news, a third of the show is an interview, and a third of the show is doing a division recap. Obviously, on some weeks, like the Tri-City Week we just talked about, we're probably going to put two interviews in one. Um... We could split them up, I guess, in theory, but we'll see how that works out. But if we have two hour-long interviews in one episode, obviously we're not doing anything else other than the interviews. So, um, yeah. Uh, in weeks like that, we probably wouldn't do a division recap, but I would say I want to try and go through each division starting in 23, recapping the previous season, because it also could be a nice way to kind of fly right into the previews from the recaps. So I'd say starting in January, we'll actually do those recaps. Yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a good segue into, uh, it's a good segue into the previews as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm done with it. Yep. Uh, and then the final question, whatever happened to the hall of fame that you did? Yeah. I'm going to um, let you take this one, Nick. <laughs> yeah. So with the, uh, 
It's the Hall of Fame. Uh, if people don't remember, we did an Indie Ball Hall of Fame. We made up a whole ballot, went through the ballot, did all that shit. You could go ahead and go back about a year or so and uh, listen to those episodes if you're curious about them. That said, uh, what happened was only about 20-ish people, I think 2021-ish people, voted in it. And the skews were way off. And I could probably, to be honest with you, find that stuff still. Uh, it's definitely probably just sitting around here. Yeah, Hall of Fame ballot 2022. So I guess it was earlier this year. I honestly forgot. Uh, yeah, 27 responses was the total uh, on it. And to be honest with you, uh, nobody met the threshold we put in. Uh, the closest was like Sparky Lyle got 15 votes of uh, that particular group. And he got 68% of that vote. Uh, likewise, the builder category at 70%, Frank Bolton made it, but Miles Wolf didn't, which I thought was completely just not acceptable. And in the player grouping, only Bryant Nelson uh, eclipsed 70% with 70.4. So uh, what basically happened was we didn't have the volume we needed and we didn't have the individual voters we needed to actually um, do it properly. So I kind of just said, nobody's really pressing us on it. It wasn't done that well. Let's just kind of let this fade off and die until the point where we could revisit this later on, where this time we go ahead, we do it right, and we ride full regalia uh, to do it correctly. So long and short is we didn't get enough votes, and the votes we did have had a extremely surprising result. And nobody seemed to really care, so we stopped caring. That's, uh, I guess I couldn't have said it better than that, so. Yeah, so that is the full 21 questions uh, of the 2022 Q&A episode. Your questions, our answers, I think part four. And, uh, yeah, hopefully the past hour and 25-ish minutes lived up to the hype, lived up to the billing. Obviously, there was news this past week. Greg Taggart's back in uh, Indie Ball. Uh, we have the ballpark pass being renewed in the Atlantic League. We got more Banana Ball. And all of that we're going to discuss next week. Uh, we did see it. We will talk about it but next week because we're at 90 minutes long on this episode. And... In about 50 minutes, we got an interview, and my throat is dying. So it's going to be a fun half hour to 45 minutes. So, yeah, on that note, uh, I guess we could go to the plugs and get out of here. Um, so that way we can continue on with uh, the rest of our day. So if you want to follow the show and you want to support the show, like whoever it was that asked us about a Patreon, you can follow the show on Twitter at IndieBallPod, which for a brief moment, we got a 12-hour ban because I said the term eye bleach in reference to internet culture, which means you saw something horrific, you want to bleach your eyes, so you look at a nice picture in that particular instance was a golden retriever in front of a Christmas tree. Uh, I got a 12-hour ban for that, so I'm still kind of pissy about it. Uh, but you can follow us there at Indie Ball Pod. And I probably should make an auxiliary one in case that happens again, but I'm not that forward thinking. And uh, yeah, you can follow on Instagram at ALBB underscore news and at Indie Ball Report. Uh, I was keeping people up to date with the Indie Ball Report one, so on Instagram. 
So I make a point of following both if you can. So that way you're always in the loop as to what's happening. And when we start doing new stuff too, you'll uh, be in the loop on it as well. That said, if you want to follow the show, you can do so wherever you find podcasts, wherever you're listening now, you can probably follow there too. Uh, so that's Spotify, that's TuneIn, that's Stitcher, that's uh, Podbean, that is Google Podcasts. That is pretty much every single major one, including iHeartRadio too. Uh, so you could follow us on any of those platforms. And if you're able to, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to help the show grow. That said, do you have anything else left to add? Boy, I know we've talked for a while, so I don't have a whole lot to add other than go Giants, I guess. All I have to say is that was pass interference. And it should have sure been Sure was. That's cool. Sure was, but, but yeah. the commanders got away with uh got away with some got away with uh holding all game long, so uh, there's also that uh, that's my opinion. There's also the uh, sketchy call in the two point conversion that led to a missed extra point too, but you know. Oh, that was, I mean, it was offensive PIs. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. But, any case, I, I don't really have anything left to add. I guess normally I would do like a whole end of year thing, but we still have one episode left in 2022. So, uh, yeah, I hope to see everybody listening to that one. And until next time, don't forget to play ball.